Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Well, Happy New Year to all of you, and uh, greetings from the warm south. Um, As soon as I got back last night, the first thing I did was I went and I put Canadian long johns on before I unpacked the car. It's like, it's so cold here. But uh, it's it's so good to see all of you. And uh, we are so blessed here to have Pastor Mark and Glenda with us to uh, lead us. And uh, yes, let's give give God the glory this morning. And uh, at this time, it was just incredible to hear uh, God's word this morning through scripture and uh, to hear Pastor Mark and Glenda's heartbeat that um, God's outpouring takes place this year in our hearts, in this congregation, in this community. And I'd like us to take the next couple minutes to uh, do the same for Pastor Mark and for Glenda to, um, to pray for them. And uh, there's three specific things that we will pray for. And uh, guys, if you could come up at this time, uh, Carl and, uh, and Lem, and Jerian's uh, leading our, our, our kids, so he's unable to join us. But we're going to lay hands on Pastor Mark and on Glenda right now. And I ask all of you to uh, please stand and join us. And uh, feel free to stretch out your hand towards um, Pastor Mark and Glenda. And we're going to ask God's uh, continued anointing on them at this time. And uh, guys, if you would please go right ahead. Thanks. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for sending Mark and Glenda and their family to us to minister. We prayed for a whole year, Heavenly Father, in our board meetings that you would send the man that will bring us together and that you would be able to serve you here in Niagara Falls. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you will put a hedge of protection around Pastor Mark and his family as they minister. And may your Holy Spirit be in and around and through, and, and may we, we be blessed this coming year with their ministry. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we come to you in humility, in prayer. Lord, we're beginning a new year, and in fact, a new decade. And we were reminded this morning by Pastor Mark of the parable of the talents, Lord. And you have given us many talents. One of the talents you've given us, Lord, is the privilege of prayer. Lord, I pray that as we come more and more a church of prayer, you will bless us, Lord, with an outpouring Uh, from heaven, of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let the floodgates open, as we sang, and rain down us the Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can see a spiritual harvest, Lord, in this church with the leadership of Pastor Mark and Glenda, with Dave and Isabel helping us, Lord, with all the leadership, the staff, volunteers, and the whole congregation, Lord. Let your spirit fall upon us, I pray. And that we will truly see in this year, in 
going onward. A great spiritual harvest in our church, Lord, and in our city, and in this country, and in the world, Lord. These are perilous times indeed, Lord. And we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us. Pour out your love on us, I pray, Lord, and enable us to move forward. Thank you, Lord, that you do give us these gifts of prayer. And you've given us a gift of this facility here and all the people that come and go in it, Lord. Help us not to bury our talents in the ground, but to use them to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Father God, we pray also that you'd continue to give effectiveness to Pastor Mark and to Glenda. Thank you that they are about prayer, that they so desire to seek your face before they step out. God, we do that this morning for 2020 as we before we step out, we, we come to you right now and we pray that you would be effective in this place. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, both of their hearts, their openness to your leading. God, I pray that they would continue to hear from you and to take the steps, the path that you've laid out for them. Lord, I thank you that all protection comes from you. God, I thank you that you go before them in all that they do, that uh, your mighty armies are around them and that uh, your flames are, are burning bright, even though we might not even see it at times, but you are the God that goes before us and that you're, you're behind us also protecting us. God, we pray also for, it would be incredible spiritual harvest this year as we prayed that it would go beyond these walls. Lord, we commit this city to you. It might be known for the falls, but God, we pray that it'd be known for where the, your rain comes down. God, where there's the openness of heaven, that, that the floodgates have, are flowing. God, use us, we pray. God, we pray for effectiveness in everything that they do daily, that in the, the moments that they could be down, that it would not be for long. It would be a, a short valley to go through, but that they would know that you're walking beside them, lighting their path, and we say thank you. God, we uh, ask your blessings on them this year, on their family, and all that they do. And we uh, say thank you in advance. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Please be seated. And don't be shy to let our pastor and Glenda know how well they're appreciated this year. Um, Even just in a little note or a telephone call or a text. And uh, stop them once in a while and just say thank you. (laughs) Way to start the year. Isn't that great? Oh, wow. Thank you. Well, a farmer buys a field. He buys a field and it will require hard work. He will buy a field and it will require faith. And he first prepares the field by clearing it of rocks and debris and tree stumps. He then decides to go about working the field by plowing up the ground. And then he prepares the field to be productive. He fertilizes it. 
And when all these things are done, he goes, purchase some seed, and sows the field. He plants the seed. But he isn't finished yet. He didn't buy the field just to plant seed and look at it. This is just the beginning of a long process. The farmer now waits in faith. He is trusting for a great harvest to come, which will be the reward for all of his hard work. The, long, the farmer longs for the harvest to come. But here's the thing. He can't bring the harvest. He can buy the field. He can prepare the field, work the field. But God is the one who gives the harvest. He's the one who blesses the farmer. We read in his word, they sow their fields, plant their vineyards, and harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. Who does the blessing? God does. He gives them even the strength to do the work. He provides the seed, seed for them to sow. He causes the seed to die in the ground and, and, and bloom up into a plant to be reborn. It's God who brings the needed sun and the needed rain at the right times so the seed will grow to be a plant. It is God who provides. It is he who blesses with the harvest. Harvest is, is a great time. We even have a holiday for it called Thanksgiving. And, uh, and as God's children, we aren't just thankful and leave it at that. We direct our Thanksgiving. We say we are thankful to God for. A lot of people say we're thankful, then they don't direct it's kind of vague. It's just hanging out there. But we say, no, we are thankful to God for. We recognize that it is he who blesses us. And we make sure he alone is the one who gets the glory and the credit. So we're not just thankful for the harvest, but we're thankful to God for the harvest. And on Thanksgiving holiday, it originated as a harvest festival, a time of celebration, of hard work, of preparing and showing, uh, of preparing and sowing, which always ends, and this is why we're talking about this, always ends in a party. <laughs> Every time I say to party, look at Dave's shirt and go, oh. Back in the Bible days, the people were instructed to celebrate harvest time. Uh, just one of the places in Deuteronomy, then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor who? Lord your God. Bring him voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you received from him. This is a time to what? Celebrate to God. Before the Lord your God, at a designated place of worship, he will choose for his name to be honored. That's what we're doing. Celebrate with your sons and daughters. This is a family time. And Isaiah 9.3, it helps us to understand how much this celebration meant to them. They were talking about how God will increase. And, and Isaiah says, you will enlarge the nation of Israel. And his people will rejoice. Well, how will they rejoice? They will rejoice before you just as people rejoice at a harvest. So it gives us a clue that this is a great time of celebration for the people. A year ago last month, a year ago December, I've only pastored here a few months, for a couple of months actually, and I had a dream one night where God told me how the gate church is like a farmer's field. I even preached about it, if you remember. And what I believe God wanted me to know is this. We have faithful farmers in our church. 
They are working hard in the field. They toil, they're industrious, they are faithful in carrying out the work of the Lord, and the work will not be in vain. A time of harvest is coming. A time of reaping will follow this time of sowing because God does not lead people into the field in vain. There will be work, there will be toil, they will have to have faith, but it always ends in a party. This is what the message is about today. God invites us to join him in his work. We join him by preparing and by sowing. We are his workers. Sometimes God's work is very challenging. There'll be times when his instructions will bring us conviction. But it will always help us to be more productive, to receive his blessing in our life. So if we would remain faithful, as hard as it might be sometimes, as challenging, we may find that the work always ends in a party. There's always a harvest. We read earlier in the service that parable that, that I, I, you know, says my favorite parable where Jesus is the master giving his servants resources and an assignment. And the parallel is obvious. We are the servants. Jesus is the master. And having received the resources and the assignment, two of the three servants go out and begin to invest right away on behalf of their master. When the master returns, these workers are able to present to him a return on what he had given him. And then those two workers heard this from their master. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Now listen to these words. Let's celebrate together. (laughs) Two of the three servants worked faithfully, even though it would be difficult and hard and challenging, like all of us who follow Jesus. It ended in a party. They would work, and now the master invites them to celebrate with him. And notice in this parable, the other servant chose not to work. Chose not to engage the difficulty, the labor the master had called him to. And the master said, you are wicked, and you are lazy. And he was cast out into other, outer darkness. My favorite Old Testament book, I think, would have to be Nehemiah. And there's a story in Nehemiah when the people are coming back, living out away from Jerusalem for many years. They're coming back and rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple. And there's a story when they're, when they're in the temple, they discover the copy of the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Torah, the Pentateuch, or the Book of the Law. And they're unfamiliar with it. For they've lived years away. They were not understanding that what, what was in this book. And so they wanted to celebrate. They brought all the people to, together in a city square and it was a time that they were going to, as it says, dads and, and wives and, and kids were all there. Who could list, understand the words? They gathered to hear. The people came as families. And, and a scribe by the name of Ezra says he stands at a wooden pulpit before all the people. Interesting enough, the Bible says this took place on October 8th, right around our time of Thanksgiving. And Ezra then reads for the Bible, and it says he gives translation to what is being read so the people can understand. I said, man, that just sounds like a church service. He's preaching to the people in a very exciting moment for them to hear for the first time the word of God. But when they heard it, they became very sad. Because when they heard the truth, they realized how they had drifted away, how they had not been obeying. They realized that how much stood between them and God, and they're very sad, and, and uh, so it was, they were starting to weep, it said. 
My um, 10-month-old grandson has a Bible, storybook. He does his devotions from. And I'm going to read the story from Nehemiah, the story as the way he hears it being read today. And I will even uh, show you the pictures. So that story told in Lewis's Bible. Have you ever been to a party that lasted a whole week? How about a sermon that went on all day? (laughs) Well, that's what happened to God's people after they came home from being slaves. They had forgotten how God wanted to, to live or who they were supposed to be. So Ezra and Nehemiah read them the rules God had given Moses. But something odd happened. The the more the sermon went on, the sadder they all got. Why was the sermon that boring? No, not really. It was strange, you see, as Ezra read the book of rules, it worked like a mirror. It showed them what they were like, and they didn't like what they saw. They saw that they had not been living the way they should. They saw that they were cruel and selfish. We've blown it, they cried. Now God will punish us. They thought they knew what God was going to do, but they didn't. Of course, they might have picked up a clue from Ezra's name, which means help is here. And even a stronger one from Nehemiah's name, because his name means God wipes away our tears. And that, as you'll see, is just exactly what God was getting ready to do. Ezra looked up at God's children. Great hot tears were welling up in their eyes and streaming down their cheeks. He stopped his sermon mid-sentence and shut the book. We're having a party, he shouted. So that's just what they did all week long. God wants us to be happy, Ezra said. All day they listened to stories about the wonderful things God had done for his people, how he made the world, how he gave a special promise to Abraham, how he rescued them from slavery, how he spoke to Moses and showed them how to live, how he brought them to a special land, how he rescued them no matter what, time after time, over and over again, because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. They remembered how God had always, all through the years, been loving his children, keeping his promise to Abraham, taking care of them, forgiving them. Even when they disobeyed, even when they ran away from him, even when they thought they didn't need him, then God told his children something else. I can't stop loving you. You are my heart's treasure. But I lost you. Now I'm coming back for you. I'm like the sun that greatly shines on you, chasing away darkness, fear, and death. You'll be so happy. You'll be like little calves running free in an open field. I'm going to send my messenger. That'd be Jesus, the promised one, the one you've been waiting for, the rescuer. He is coming, so get ready. It's taken centuries for God's people to be ready. But now the time had almost come for the best part of God's plan. God himself was going to come, not to punish his people, but to rescue them. Amen. God was getting ready to wipe away every tear from every eye. And the true party was just about to begin. There will always be challenges 
we're going to face. And if you do hear God's word, there will always be times of conviction. But when we respond in faith, it always ends in a party. So this morning, I want to share with you four big prayer goals for 2020. And big's going to stand for bold, industrious goals. Four goals that we're going to pray for this year. And each of them can be a challenge. Each of them may convict. Each of them, you might hopefully would respond in faith, God, I will follow. And I know each one of them will require preparation, hard work, and faith. Before I, I share these goals, let me tell you three things. Let me put this out of the way. I've never told everybody this, but in my 30 years of ministry, every single time I've gone to a church, God in his way of working has has brought me to a church that had been going in a downward spiral. Um, They had lost lots of people. And and it was difficult, and, and there was a challenge. However, secondly, in every church, those people either regained or surpassed what they had lost every time. And it usually took six years, seven years, eight years sometimes. But each church turned a corner and made a significant impact, certainly in their community, in the lives of people, people coming to the Lord. And thirdly, in every church turnaround, the turnaround came as the church implemented and worked. Uh, these, among them, these four goals. That I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you this, this morning, and they're not new to you. In fact, we've already begun some of them, but we want to take them to a higher level in 2020. So I, I'm, not, I'm not just sharing these lightly. I believe in these things. They're biblical. They're simple. They're not new. But they're worth our preparation, our hard work, and that faith. So here are our four goals to help us move forward in 2020. The first one should not surprise you. We, we already, the elders have talked about it. Um, we are seeking to grow to become a house of prayer. In your sermon notes, you can fill that in. Can I tell you, I would confess to you that for a lot of years, for many years in my ministry, I did not enjoy prayer meetings. I found them boring. I think I fell asleep once at one. But it was, it was winter, and it was some older ladies in the house, and they had the wood stove just burning. And I sat there, and I realized, I think it's my turn to pray, and I'm not saying anything. I've been asleep. I wonder if they know. <laughs> I just hope, this, maybe he's just really being blessed, and they just started praying. But that changed. Hallelujah. That changed. I, I am not uh, one of these guys that just go, yeah, pray, pray, pray. pray. Like, I, I believe in it. I understand it, but it's not natural to me. I, I, had, to, I had to work at this, and I, now I understand. It's like prayer is like oxygen. If I don't do it, if we don't do it, we're going to shrivel up and die. And I love breathing. <laughs> I love prayer. And it was Jesus who said this about the church. My house shall be called the house of prayer. And he's quoting Isaiah, who back in Isaiah said, and give them joy in my house of prayer. He calls it the house of prayer. Or my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. 
So this is what God's desire is that we would start become more of a house of prayer. Because many churches can be described as a church with prayer. A vibrant church is a praying people with a church. It's a, there's a difference. Prayer is work. Did you know that? Prayer is necessary. It is preparing the field for harvest. It's demonstrating this truth. I'm relying on God and not me for the harvest. I will work hard. I'll prepare. I'll sow seed. But God, I'm praying to you. I'm relying on you. I'm trusting in you to bring this harvest. And I will give you the glory for it. A lot of studies about book, about, uh, and books about co- what causes churches to grow. And I love reading them. And I, I shared with you recently one book I read that I found so interesting because the author was studying why churches don't grow. His name's Tom, Tom Rayner. He is known in the church world as the researcher. Him and George Barna are just the researchers. Uh, Tom Rayner, more about the everyday church, about every part of the church. And he wrote this book about why churches um, died. He went to churches that died, that closed their doors, and interviewed the members to find out why. And every time he interviewed the members, he'd ask them this question, did the church members pray together? And he said, there's always a pause. And more times than not, what they would describe was, well, we did meet midweek, and there was just a few of us, and there was a list, and we prayed over the list. But it was, it was routine for us, and just like I said, I didn't, you know, I was guilty of this, that it wasn't really moving. It was just a few of us. We did it because we knew we should do it. And you and I know, and I've, I've had to learn this, prayer in the church needs to be more than this if it's going to thrive. Be effective. So Tom Rainer, studying churches, said this. It's not... Coincidentally, or coincidentally, prayer and health of the church went hand in hand. Prayer and church of the health, prayer and health of the church went hand in hand. So I want to share what we've done over the years so far. We're hoping and what we're going to do in the new year. We know last spring we began something called Prayer Start. We meet in that boardroom at 9.15 every Sunday morning and we pray for the service. We pray for the Sunday school. And that was in April. And I can tell you, and I, I, I do not meet, believe when I say this, it's changed this church. That time in that room with those people praying um, has changed this church. We've seen changes. And maybe later I can share about some of those changes. But it It works. And recently, Glenda was appointed as our prayer ministry leader. She's being mentored weekly in church renewal practices. Um, she's meeting with other pastors' wives across Canada and learning to how to, to, to implement the abide in, in prayer. She's meeting with, uh, uh, has some notes from Grace Fast, who's a prayer leader in the Southland Church. And she's going to be talking to her as well. Because it's that important. To help us to make prayer, us to become a house of prayer. And we want a prayer team, ministry team. Just like we have a worship team, we need people saying, yeah, prayer is an important ministry of the church, and I will commit to this. Not just hit and miss, and sometimes I, I will commit to this. This will be my talent. This is what I'm going to invest. This is what I'm giving to you, Lord. I will commit to be praying for this church and this, for this church. And not only do we want a prayer start, we want something called after prayer, where after the service, we have people in those ministry team waiting and ready to pray with you. Because maybe people are here and they accept the Lord. What do I do next? 
Or maybe God spoke to you in a song or in a scripture or in the message, and we just want to say, okay, thank you. Hope it works out. We'll see you next week. We want them to know they can walk out and people will pray for them. Maybe they're, they're struggling. Maybe they want to praise God. But we want to follow up in prayer. And we're going to have a sermon series on prayer this spring. It will lead us to our very first prayer summit. What is a prayer summit? A prayer summit's incredible. How many of you have been to a prayer summit? Uh, it is, um, you know, you think I'm just saying this, but it's true. It's life-changing. I began in my last church prayer summits. It's life-changing. Healings. Lives being changed. People being ministered to, helped. A prayer summit is when we come together as all the church. We're going to come together on Sunday evening, but Palm Sunday. And we're going to lead us through various forms of prayer. And some of it will be all of us together. Some will be in groups of three. Some of us will be in groups of six or eight. There'll be worship, and it will change your life. It will change the life of this church. And, I, and I've waited because I want to make sure we're ready. The temptation to do it right away is so good, but I want to make sure we're ready. We're building up to this. We're ready for our first prayer summit. What I learned in church renewal, I'm going to say learn because I didn't believe this, was this fact. When corporate prayer increases in the church, the personal prayer life of the people increase. See, people used to think, no, when, we won't have a prayer summit until people start praying more. No, when we start praying together as a church, we find, we have found, and consistently, that your prayer life increases. When we come together as a church, praying, your prayer life, that's my testimony, has increased, been more effective. And that's what's going to happen here at the gate. So we're seeking to become a house of prayer. I'm going to talk about that one the most. The other ones I'm not going to talk as much about, but I wanted to get, that's the foundation. That's what we're building on. I'm just like you, I get it. Sometimes I don't like praying out loud, or I don't, you know, I feel, what do I say, or what do I do? I want to tell you, don't let the enemy rob you of that weapon of prayer. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. We're in this together. I'm with you in that. Just because it's reverent in front of my name doesn't mean I'm naturally this prayer person. I just talk to God like I talk to you, and I listen to him. I'm nothing special, and it's changed my life. Secondly, this is, we are seeking to add three new life groups. Every single comeback church I've been involved in, I told you, every time I've gone to church, God just in his way said, it's a church that is struggling, that's lost people, and it's been, you know, in many ways messy. And every time, part of the comeback and the turnaround is when that church, we added life groups. So important. I'm not going to talk about why all the time today. The, the series we're going to do called Response, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more after this. But every church, life groups, were part of people coming together in the community and the belonging and the care. Ed uh, Stetzer, he knows a lot about comeback churches. I've heard him speak uh, once in California, once in Montreal, and I like him because he knows the Canadian church. He married a girl from Alberta. He knows what Tim Hortons means. <laughs> and he knows the Canadian church. I like that. And he, um, he listened to what he says from his research on, on churches that have turned to corners that have come back in regards to small groups. It is in small groups that people get close enough to know each other, to care and share, to challenge and support, to confide and confess, to forgive and be forgiven, to laugh and weep together, to be accountable to each other and grow together. Personal growth does not happen in isolation. 
I, I'm up, all I'm doing today is testifying, really, because that's my testimony. I cannot grow spiritually in isolation. I've met people who think they can, and they are, they are not. I, small group ministry has been so much a part of my life today. I have my own life group here at the church. My wife is my leader. And she challenges me. She makes me do things I don't want to sometimes. And I grumble and whine. And then I say, well, that was a great. That was wonderful. But she prepares. She doesn't just show up. What are we doing? She prepares the lessons given to her. And she prays over it. She prepares for it. And it shows the harvest. Uh, you know, I meet with uh, Pastor Ray Dirksen and about seven other pastors for five years now every week. I need to be accountable. I need to learn. And now I'm mentoring eight other pastors from all over Canada and every denomination as they are starting to learn and be accountable. Um, staff meetings, sometimes our staff meetings are like a, a small group. We learn, we challenge, we say, we think, we pray. Can I give you a lesson from history? I shared this with our elders and our staff. Let me share it with you. How many of you have heard of John Wesley? John Wesley, okay. Let's keep up your hands. I just want to see again how many. Okay, thank you. How many have heard of George Whitfield? Not as many, but good you are. John Wesley and George Whitfield were contemporaries, both holiness preachers, preached wonderful messages back in the day when they were alive. Um, John Wesley, his name is more well known. In fact, he established the Wesleyan Church in which Salvation Army, Church of Nazarene, Methodist Church all came out of. Uh, George Whitfield, we don't know his name today because he preached, but John Wesley's legacy carried on. Do you know what's the difference between John Wesley and, and George Whitfield? Small groups. He called them class meetings. But he would preach, and then his church would gather during the week for small group, life group ministry, and they were asked questions to be accountable and to be encouraged and to be helped. And those small groups kept the legacy alive to where they began planting churches and starting churches to where they are here today, and we know his name. That's how important small group ministry is. Not that we just talk about it, just hear it. Now we go and challenge and be encouraged and we prayed. We're accountable in small little groups. Glenda was reading me from a book last night how I think churches are like um, armies, but armies are effective when you get into little platoons because suddenly I'm responsible for these people. I, they need to know I have their back and, I, and they have my back. And churches are like that because we are all together. This is unity. This is wonderful but we need the platoons. We need to know people more intimately. We need to know them and, and care for them and hear from them and feel like we belong to this place. And that happens in life groups. That's how important they are. The Bible said this, that they worship together at the temple each day. Great. But they also met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, it's easy to say we want to add three new life groups this year. The challenge is, is identifying the leaders and being willing to encourage them and train them because small groups, life groups tend to only be as good as, as its leaders are. Um, we will give you the material to study. We'll do most of the work. We'll, you know, but you can have that good study. You can have a good place to meet. You can have good goodies to eat. But the leader will make or break the effectiveness of that group. And so we, in our responsibility, want to identify, train, and encourage so they would prepare, do the hard work, and in faith, trust for a harvest out of their ministry. Prepare, preparation, hard work, 
and faith. The third one is the toughest one for me. Um, we are seeking a leader to minister and equip our youth and young adults. And I say it's the toughest because I don't have all the who's and the what's and the how's. I just know the why. Three things I know. Just, I just know this. Every time I was involved with those churches that were spiraling, spiraling down, that when we had a committed, dedicated, passionate leader for our young people, not only did the youth ministry grow, the church grew. Every time. And I was thinking, I just, every time I say that, I have this image of one church I was in where there was two youth. I remember looking in the room and seeing two youth. And we did hire a youth leader, and months later, uh, we had like 50 plus youth. And better than that, we baptized 27 of them one Sunday. I don't know everything. I just know that whenever we had someone passionate who came under authority, was part of the team, that the youth ministry grew, but the ministry of the church grew as well. It became vibrant. In fact, in that church, some of the young adults we ministered to are board members today. They came in, sat in the front rows. They had no idea what church was like. They didn't know there were crazy people sitting in the front row. <laughs> and their kids were there, and they danced there, and the worship was wonderful. He, Travis, one guy named Travis, he'd go out and get coffee, bring it back in during the sermon, and, and, just, and he's a board member today. The second thing I know is I'm serving God today, much in part due to the youth ministry in my life. I know my daughters are serving God today due in much part to the fact that they had a strong youth ministry in their life. And I know our youth today are worth the investment of a strong youth ministry. How can I say no when I needed that? My own daughters needed that. How can we say no to our kids, our youth, our young adults? And finally, our fourth prayer goal It's hard to measure, but we can do this as celebratory worship. And as soon as you hear that word, some people get nervous. They're thinking, oh, we're going to promote this kind of style of worship or promote that style of worship. Are we going to be contemporary or traditional? And the answer is none of the above. The answer is for churches to give worship to God. Celebratory worship in your notes means this. Where we, when we gather together for worship, there's a sense among us that there's something worth celebrating. I've been in every kind of service. I was in one service in Mexico. I didn't understand a word they were saying. I was worshiping God like crazy. It was so beautiful because God was there and he was worth celebrating. It isn't about jazzing up the worship music. It isn't about, it is about seeking God's heart. And you can tell. One church Lynn and I went to, which became a church I would pastor and later on holidays, we went and went, people want to be here. They're worshiping and they're, and, and, and they're just, I remember, I, I remember this, Grandma Vivian, who was her name. Well, so we went to this church for a while before I pastored there. And the music was very contemporary. And the church was growing. And this lady came up with a walker down the aisle. And I used to sit right around where you or John or Jordan was at the front. And I said, oh, this lady, as soon as we start worship, she's gone. 
She'll get up that walker and zoom out. And she didn't. I found out later, Grandma Vivian is the, one, the reason why that church was there. She had prayed, God, bring a church here that's evangelical, that's reaching people. We have a lot of religion in this community. We don't have a relationship with God. And so she endured it. But she was praising God because God is worth celebrating. She died. We named our prayer room after her, after I was pastoring there because of Grandma Vivian. You know what? I, I tend, when I, I like things done well because God is worth doing it well. And worship is worth doing well. And God's word tells us this. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Hallelujah. That includes Niagara Falls, I think. Amen. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Amen. And again, I'm just, I'm just testifying to you. There's times I haven't sang with joy. I did it out of routine. I did it out of habit. And now when I'm, if I'm singing, I just think that worship time is a time for me of confessing before God because I can't sing those things if I know something's not right in my heart. And I say, God, you alone reign on us. I, I, I can't, I'm not, we, none of us are capable of doing that. We need to depend on you to reign on us. And we respond. And we surrender. And our hearts would be ready for God to do something in our lives. And we look at Psalm 101 and 2. We say, does that describe me? Do I come shouting with joy, whether it's a hymn or a chorus? Do I worship him with gladness? Is he worth that? Is my church, I'd say my church is like that. And studies, and, and I say studies, I mean not just one guy's idea. Many churches, because I, I, I study churches that turn around. Many churches experience transformation. They began focusing on worship. I wouldn't have done that, but that's what they did, and it works. Because when people want to be there and they're celebrating, that's attractive. To non-believers. They come and they're not worshiping yet because they don't know God, but they go, there's something to this. This is meaningful. I want to know more. We're going to look at some of these deeper in our next series called Response. But I just want to share with this story. This is a personal story that I, I don't think I've maybe shared once before in 30 years. But when I went out west and the lower mainland of BC and in northern Washington where I pastored, there were no dirt gravel roads like we have here in Ontario. And that's because it rained so much. Even the back roads were, were paved. And I, and I didn't like that because I lived in Ontario and Blue Mountain and around the Own Sound area. And I love traveling dirt gravel roads through the trees. It's just so beautiful. And I love, we lived in uh, Blue Mountain. We had 25 acres of bush and stream and we were surrounded by all the thousands of acres of crown land. I relaxed by walking through the woods, driving down the country gravel roads. And out in British Columbia, where I lived, there were none. And one day I'm driving along to a new area, just kind of discovering, listening, I'm there to a John Maxwell tape. And I'm driving, and I go around the bend on this paved road, and I notice a dirt road going off. I went, whoa, what was that? That was a dirt road. So I turned around and drove down this dirt road, because this is something new. This is like being back home in Ontario. And I drove, and the road ended um, pretty soon. And I got out. And where the road ended, a path began through the woods. And I told you, I love walking through the woods, paths through the woods. But this path through the woods was ugly. 
there were shrubs and skinny trees and, and it was not a beautiful, relaxing, I, like why would somebody walk this path? It's, it, it stresses you out. It's not a pretty thing. It's not like the maples and, and the streams that I'm used to back home. And as I stood out there and looked at that path, God then spoke to me, stronger than words. He said, Mark, this is what your life and ministry is going to look like for a time. I went, what? He <laughs> said, so, no, this is what life could be like you, for you for a time. And I went, okay. And then he said, Mark, would you like for me to walk this path with you? Yes. Please, if this is what's waiting for me, please. And then he said this, then be faithful and I'll walk with you. Be faithful on this ugly path and I'll be with you. And I had my cell phone back then. Back in the day, they weren't really great cell phones with pictures, but I took a picture of the path. Would you like to see it? There it is. It was obviously well walked, but scrawny, trees and shrubs and not I stood there took that picture and God said this is what your life's going to look like for a while I think God said Mark can you see there, there, there's a clearing beyond there I don't know if you can see it in the picture or not there's a clearing there's an opening and just in the same way God said as this path will represent what your life is going to be like for a while that clearing will represent what your life's going to be like what's waiting for you at the end and the same way this path represents your life what lies at the end also represents what you will find and experience when you finish walking the path. And my, man, my mind began racing. I wondered what lies out there in that opening. And, I, and I, I could walk it right now and the mystery would be over, but I was fearful. I was afraid I'd walk it and find an abandoned cemetery. You went through a tough time, now you're going to die. <laughs> Or I began to think, what is just an empty nothing? And like I walked through all the struggle, God just said, I'm going to face, and then suddenly there's nothing for all that work. I even thought, what if there's cows there? Like, how am I supposed to interpret that? <laughs> so I didn't walk the path um, out of fear. I left. Always thinking about it. And weeks would go by. Months went by. I never came back to that path. Over a year went by, I did not come back. I was fearful of what I would find at the end of that path. I thought about it, I wondered about it, mostly I kind of feared about it because I just don't, I just somehow you're wired sometimes thinking, you know, it's gonna be bad, it's gonna be bad. But one particular day in ministry that was bad, that was difficult, I said, I'm gonna drive to that path, I'm gonna walk it today. If it's a graveyard, so be it. So be it. If it's nothing, so be it. I'm going to be faithful. And I walked into that path. I remember walking, thinking, oh, I've been waiting for this for over a year. Because I know God, when he says something, it's, it's true. He's done that before, and he impresses upon you, and, and it's true. And so I'm walking, wondering what's the end of that path. And what I found, I was not expecting. I was not thinking this is what would be there. Now it makes sense, but it didn't make sense to me then. I was totally surprised and it was very good. It meant something to me. What lied at the end of that ugly path was this clearing you can see 
but it was a mighty rushing river. Flowing. I thought, where did this come from? And I automatically thought that the verse in John where it says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. I thought in Revelation where it says, for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water and God will wipe away tears from their eyes at the end of the ugly path. And then the angel showed me a river, the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb. And I just began praising God. I can't tell you what that church service was like for me in that river. I got a little video clip of it. Would you like to see the river? Sam can show it to you. Here's a video of it. I took, a, again, old camera, phone, but just took a picture of what lied at the end of that path that day. The mountains and the stream. And I said, why did I doubt God? Why did I wait? Why did I live in fear? I stood amazed. He asked me to be faithful. And at the end of the path was fruitfulness. You heard that before? He asked me to be faithful. And it led to fruitfulness. That's what I want you to know. Today, January 5th, 2020. Before you arrived to the promised land, you walked through wildernesses. But in this wilderness, what it doesn't, it will not always make sense. And, and when life gets hard and difficult, that's when we must be faithful and trust God. The promised land is coming. We must believe that. When Jesus comes and gives you an assignment and the ability to carry out the assignment, there's a temptation in all of us to be like the one-talent servant in our Bible reading who does nothing or very little, hopes for a big outcome. I'll procrastinate, I'll leave it, I won't do it, and hopefully something good will come out of it. I've done that. But when we go to work, we step out in faith, we hear, and we this. Whoops, not, okay, I forgot that part. But you've heard it. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. There's a task. There's hard work. We are a field. And we're working and believing and trusting. It always ends in a party. It ends in a river. It ends in a promised land. It ends in a harvest. Sometimes God's words can convict us. Even today, it will challenge you. Sometimes we respond in anger. Sometimes we respond with apathy. I don't want to think about it anymore. I can't wait to get out of here. But if we respond faithfully, it always ends in a party. This morning, we're going to close with communion as we begin this year together. And, and remember, we are like a field. We've been purchased by Jesus himself. His death bought us redemption. And you know, you and I are not just here to look at, as good looking as we are. He wants to put us to work. We are his field. He wants to prepare us for a great harvest. And the most powerful example of sacrifice before the harvest is in Jesus himself. Before the resurrection and the joy and the party and celebration, there was a cross. Before rising from the dead, there was death. There was sacrifice. There was pain for all of our sins. Before the resurrection, there was a cross. Before victory, there was a battle. We've been set free, but it came, it comes. 
at a great cost. And we remember that cost. We want to celebrate and we want to look forward to the harvest, but we remember what it cost our Lord. And we're so thankful. So this morning we're going to partake in the bread which represents his body that was broken for us. And his blood, which represent, the wine represents, the juice represents the blood spilled out, the life given to us. And I ask you to partake, if you would like to partake in this, that you would do so remembering and believing in the toil, but believing it ends in a party and to be thankful. <coughs> and if you've never accepted Christ into your life, you can do that right now. If you need to, I'm going to pray with you. Let's pray together. Fathers, we begin this year. We know that there'll come times of challenge and conviction. We know that we're going to be asked to do some hard work. And Lord, the work has always been, has been going on. But Father, we're believing and trusting you for a great harvest. Even at the gate here, Amen. we are just a small church, and yet we're believing in lives being changed. Amen. We know, God, with you, all things are possible. Amen. And I want to pray for anyone here today, God, who has not yet received you, and received your forgiveness and allowed your death on the cross to count for them. Lord, would you hear them say to you, I'm sorry for the disobedience in my life. Yes. I have fallen short. I, you and I both know that, God. That's why Jesus went to the cross and I, God, I want his life, his death to count for mine. I can't do it on my own. I need what he did on the cross to bring me into your presence that day. That when you look at me, you'll see Jesus' righteousness, not my own. On that cross, Jesus said, I'll give you my righteousness for your sin. And the Bible says he became sin for us. And he said even the world went dark. <coughs> and we became his righteousness. Lord, I want to make that exchange today. I need to. And so I come to you saying, sorry, forgive me. And become Lord and master in my life today forever and ever. And I want to accept this communion, believing and thankful for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you'll do for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.